thanks for joining us for another episode today. I'm sure you're hearing a different voice instead of Bradley's. This is Stephanie Hargis, and I'm super excited to share with you today what the Lord has laid on my heart as we finish up our series, our Unplugged series of slowing, and um, that's what we're talking about today based on the book by John Mark Homer, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. So I want to begin by asking you a question. How are you? Like truly, if I was with you right now and we were having a conversation and I asked you, how are you? What would you say? Typically, if you see someone in the grocery store or if you're passing someone when you're dropping your kids off or picking them up from school um, and you say, you see people and you're like, hey, how's it going? What do they typically say? I'm good. How are you? And you're like, I'm good. Just busy, right? At least I'm very guilty of saying that. Well, the last few weeks we've been talking about the ruthless elimination of hurry, um, which again is by John Mark Comer. And uh, in this book, and particularly in this chapter that I'm kind of closing us out through, he is sharing with us ways to gamefully imagine how to imitate Jesus. So uh, just a few days ago, we began our Lenten journey for 2023. And for so many years, Christians have observed the Lenten season for a time of repentance and self-reflection and scripture meditation. And we do all that to prepare our hearts for the celebration of Easter. So during these Lenten days, we reflect on this greater redemption narrative where we are met face-to-face with our desperate need for salvation. So how appropriate it is for us to have spent the last several weeks going unplugged so that we can refocus our attention to reflect on the priorities of our lives. So in this message, I'm going to topically give you some practical and yet challenging ways that you and I both can eliminate the great enemy of the spiritual life, which is hurry. In Romans chapter 7, verses 15 to 20, it says, I do not understand what I do, for what I do, I do not do, but what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is the sin living in me. I know that nothing good lives in me, that is, in my sinful nature, for I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For what I do is not the good that I want to do. It is no longer I who do it, but it is the sin living in me that does it. Here, Paul is describing the experience of any Christian struggling against sin or trying to please God by keeping rules and laws without the Spirit's help. We simply cannot fight the power of sin in our own might and our own strength. We must take hold of the power of Christ that is available to us. And, you know, the enemy, he's a pretty crafty deceiver. And if we're not, you know, the, the biggest murders I used to think as a kid was, you know, going out and possibly murdering someone or getting drunk. And even though sin is sin, um, I surely we're, we're fine if we're not doing the things that the sins that we think are at the at the top of the list. Um, so, you know, maybe if we think we haven't done those, we haven't fallen prey to sin of this world. But of course, as we know, as we dig deeper and we get to know Christ and, um, learn about what sin is, we read through the scriptures that Satan doesn't usually show up as, as John says, as a demon with a, um, as a pitchfork and, uh, smoker voice, as he says in his book, or as Will Ferrell with an electric guitar and fire on Saturday Night Live. 
Uh, John Mark Comer goes on to say, Today, you are far more likely to run into the enemy in the form of an alert on your phone while you are reading your Bible. Which is quite interesting because as I actually was writing out my sermon, no joke, when I got to this particular part, I actually started having notifications from a Teams meeting coming through. Now, this wasn't a meeting that I was... Um, supposed to have been a part of um they you know it's one of those where you can pick which day anyway so my day was um was a few days later but i was still getting all of the notifications from um this meeting so all these things kept popping up literally as i wrote this particular point um so it's definitely no surprise um, or we might likely uh, run into uh, the enemy on a multi-day Netflix binge or a full-on dopamine addiction to Instagram or dare I say TikTok or another soccer game on Sunday or a commitment after commitment after commitment in a life of speed. Corey Ten Boom once said that if the devil can't make you sin, He'll make you busy. And after all, both sin and busyness have the same effect. They cut off your connection to God, to other people, and even to your own soul. Michael Zigarelli from the Charleston Southern University School of Business conducted the Obstacles to Growth survey of over 20,000 Christians across the globe and identified busyness as a major distraction from spiritual life. Listen to what his hypothesis said. It may be the case that, one, Christians are assimilating to a culture of busyness, hurry, and overload, which leads to, two, God becoming more marginalized in Christians' lives, which then leads to, three, a deteriorating relationship with God, which leads to, four, Christians becoming, becoming even more vulnerable to adopting secular assumptions about how to live, which then leads to, five, more conformity to a culture of busyness hurry, and overload. And then the cycle begins all over again. And sadly, he goes on to say that pastors are the worst. He rated busyness and pastors right up there with doctors and lawyers. So again, I ask you the question, how are you? How busy are you? Do you find yourself needing and longing for more rest and needing a moment to have solitude? If you think to yourself that, you know, I'm good, I'm just busy, that's what I am definitely guilty of saying quite often, I hope that maybe through our time in this message today that maybe you'll find the idea, uh, you'll use the idea of slowing to make room for the presence of God. Let's take a look at the book of Genesis, the very first chapter in the Bible, um, talks and says, thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. Um, this is actually in Genesis chapter 2. Um, it says, Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. But by the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. Because on it, he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. We live in an action-oriented world. Sometimes we think that we, um, we're rewarded with rest when we're, we're not made to keep going. We are literally made so that we aren't taking um, time to always be action-oriented as our world tells us to be. 
There's always more to do. There's always more to be done. We're not even a full three pages into the beginning of the Bible, and God had already set a day aside for holy use. And as we journey through our Lenten adventure, you see many times where Jesus demonstrated this principle as well. Remember when he and his disciples left in a boat to get away from the crowds, or when Jesus went away to pray? Of course it makes sense that if Satan can distract us through being busy, we begin to slowly adopt secular assumptions about how to live and conform to this culture of rush and hurry. Um, I'm hoping that maybe by now you have seen, at least maybe if not in its entirety yet, um, at least a few episodes of the Chosen series. Um, it is a fantastic look into the story of Jesus through the eyes of his disciples, and it's quite interesting of um, what I've learned through uh, watching this. Um, it's kind of fascinating to me to guess which disciple is who. I was easily able to print at, point out who Peter was. Um, but if you remember, when Jesus had predicted Peter's denial in Mark 14, um, this is what Jesus had said. Jesus said, you will all fall away, Jesus told him. Jesus goes on to say, But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Peter declared, Even if I fall away, even if all fall away, I will not. I tell you the truth, today, yes, tonight, before the rooster crows twice, you yourself will disown me three times. But Peter insisted emphatically, Even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the others said the same. And just a few verses later, Jesus is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Jesus had told the disciples, sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John along with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. Listen to what it says in Mark chapter 14, verses 35 to 38. Going a little farther, he fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Simon, he said to Peter, are you asleep? Could you not keep watch for one hour? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. Many years after Jesus was crucified, rose again, and ascended, the book of Romans was, was written around that time, uh, maybe a few years after, and uh, Paul had written this book to the Christians in Rome before he had arrived. Paul had heard about the church in Rome, but he had never been. Paul had longed to see his brothers and sisters um, in Christ face to face. He sent this letter to introduce who he was and to make a clear declaration of faith. Paul was transformed by God from a persecutor of Christians to a preacher for Christ. He preached for Christ throughout the Roman Empire on not one, not two, but three missionary journeys. He wrote letters to various churches. He was sensitive to God's leading, and despite his very strong personality, he always did as God directed. Paul set out to destroy Christianity by persecuting Christians until he was met with the Lord on the road to Damascus. Paul then turned every fiber of his being for the cause of the kingdom. Yet in Romans 7, we're met with the scripture that he has a desire to do what is good, but cannot carry it out. And as we just read over and over again, we, you know, we read in the word and, and we maybe see more than anything how weak the flesh is. Peter, who emphatically declared he would not, no matter what, he would not disown the Lord. 
I'm sure was very crushed when the realization had set in. Paul, who ran the race declaring the love and forgiveness of sin, also had the inner struggle with the flesh, and chances are, I'm sure that you and I do as well. We live in a fast-paced society. If you turn on the news, get on TikTok, talk to people in town, you hear about the revival going on in and uh, what started in Kentucky. Since then, revival has spread to numerous places, uh, numerous countries. I'm thinking about Israel, Europe, uh, Africa, and uh, you know, even the Salvation Army's well-known Samuel L- Logan Bringle actually held a revival in Fort a uh, hundred years ago in Fort Smith, just a few days ago. Um, it had marked a hundred years. So. You know, there's no plan, there's no bulletin, there's no order of service, there's no guest speaker, just a hunger of people desperate for the Lord. They are reaching out for the hem of his garment, and his spirit is pouring out. Even people are selling their belongings to travel to Asbury. They're driving hours and hours. They're getting on planes because they want to be met with the spirit of the Lord. And I am only sure that they're lives will never be the same. And yet sometimes our busyness will will not will consume that longing in our hearts. That that empty void is not going to be filled with more, but it's actually going to be filled with less. John Mark Comer says, "Our time is our life and our attention is the doorway to our hearts." If you want change, if you're thinking that there is more to life than chasing after the wind, then guess what? It's time for us to slow down. This means we have to allow, we not have to, but we also get to allow Christ to enter in and fight with our flesh to adjust what our priorities are. And in this entire chapter of slowing, um, the very last chapter of the book, John Mark Comer gives very practical, some funny, some like part of a game, but all these different ways for us to slow. And um, I've I've put out just a few. There's um, some that are, are more funny than others, like for instance, actually taking time to stop at a stop sign. But um, I'm not, uh, I have a few. So listen to, um, to what it says. Um, so one that I had pointed out was set a time limit for social media or just get off. Uh, kill your TV. Uh, literally, he even said that he had a neighbor that uh, pretty much threw it out the window. Um, I'm not saying that you need to go and do that, but it's really just knowing um, where you're at with your um, intake. Uh, but Netflix, it goes on to say that Netflix reports that its average user watches a series in five days with millions binging 12-hour seasons in a day. And when asked about the competition from Amazon Prime, Disney, Hulu, or any other of the up-and-coming streaming services, the CEO of Netflix shrugged. He said their biggest competition is sleep, um, which is also quite quite scary if you actually think about it. Now, I'm not saying that, you know, you can't watch TV, but anyway, the conviction will be yours for what it is, so let the Holy Spirit do its thing. All right, um, or single tasking. Uh, multitasking is a myth, literally. Only God is omnipresent. Walter Brugman says, Multitasking is the drive to be more than we are, to control more than we do, to extend our power and our effective- effectiveness. Such practice yields a divided self with full attention given to nothing. Uh, or another idea for slowing is to take a regular day alone for silence and solitude. 
moments without your phone or social media, take time for reflection and prayer, and of course, even a nap. Um, I once had a conversation actually just a few days ago um, with uh, someone who likes to read their Bible on their phone. Now, it's not that uh, it necessarily matters. I am, I guess, what you would call old school. I do like to hold my Bible and uh, flip through the pages. Um, and this person we've had conversations about before with, you know, them, you know, how easy it is for them to just get the Bible on their phone. Well, they came uh, to church a few days ago with their actual Bible in hand. And I said, oh, you have your Bible. And they said, yes, I was getting too many notifications or distracted on my phone. And uh, they decided to pick up their Bible instead. Um, so having time alone with, without your phone or without social media, without having that temptation or distraction, even within this book, John Mark Comer goes on to talk about how even our phones, um, have that effect, like that gives us that dopamine, that rush. Um, so it's, it is very important for us to take time alone for silence and solitude. And kind of, as we think about the Lenten season, as we have self reflection and, um, we repent and we kind of realign ourselves with the fact that he is God and we are not. Uh, another idea is to take up journaling. If, if not writing, then picking up a, doing a vlog or a voice note journal. The Greek once said that the unexamined life is actually not worth living. Um, another one is take an actual vacation to get away. Um, you know, sometimes we really like the weekend getaways or spending a few days here, traveling back, but then we find that we're even more tired. Well, studies actually show that the happiness levels, they actually peak and plateau. Um, they peak on day eight of vacation and then they hit a plateau. So it's literally going to take you up to eight days. So, you know, honestly, just go to your boss and say, this is what, uh, this is what studies are showing. So I'm just going to have to take a, a solid 10 days. Why not? Um, the other idea that uh, he has is to cook your own food and eat in. Sit at the table with your family. Talk about your day. One of the things that we like to do as a family is um, we will have dinner and maybe we'll just put the plates to the side after we're done and play a quick game of taco cat goat cheese pizza, which uh, my sister and um, niece had um, actually introduced us to or um, one thing we like to do while we're eating is of course talk about the day or find conversation starters um, we also there's four of us in our family so one of the fun things that we really like to do is to think about a movie and you have to go around the table and decide who everybody what character everybody is from that movie so um, just a few other things that you can you can think about doing uh, John Mark Comer lists many other ideas of slowing and explains in greater detail reasons why so these are just a few highlights without a lot of detail um, some of these may be for you some of them may not make sense but the point is to have a list do the list uh, there's much more to life than just the increase of speed. We must ruthlessly eliminate hurry. Your personal roles and boundaries are to give life, not take away from it. So by adding some of these slowing ideas into your life is not going to mean that you're going to ace it. You're going to fail and you're going to take steps back. You might be frustrated. Um, but the goal is to not stop going, not to give it's not, not to give up, it's to begin again. 
Uh, one thing that John Mark Comer says that he does when the moments he does fail and has to reset is he breathes, he comes back to the moment, receive the good as a gift, and accept the hard as a gift. So I want to read, I want to end our time together by reading a small portion from the end of his book, and this is what it says. So dear reader and friend, you, like me, must make a decision. Not just when your own fork on the road kind of midlife crisis comes, and it, it, it will come, but every day. How will you live in the years to come? Our world is most likely going to go from fast to faster. It's going to go more hurried, more soulless, more vapid, deceiving and being deceived. Will you traverse that road? Will you follow the same old, tired, uncreated story of hurry and busyness and noisy, materialistic, propagandized living just to try to add in a little Jesus as you careen through life? Make it to church when you can, pray when you find the time, mostly just to stay ahead of the wolf pack? Or will you remember that there's another road, another way? Will you off-ramp onto the narrow path? Will you radically alter the pace of your life to take up the easy yoke of Jesus? And when you fail, begin again, but this time, slowly. This book is both a question and an answer, but mostly it's an invitation from one invitee to another. Come to me, find rest for your souls. I say yes. You, here's to the easy yoke. So back to my first question, how are you? Do you find yourselves reaching for the hem of his robe in desperation? Do you find yourself having the desire to do what you want to do, but hating what you do? Maybe it's time for us to reflect, spend this time with uh, the next 40 days following up to Easter and reflect on what your priorities are, how you can uh, you know, put just a few of these in, even if it's just for a few minutes a day and see how much different um, even your, your own soul begins to feel. And another of Paul's letters uh, from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 10 to 11, this is what Paul says, We urge you, brothers and sisters, to make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. Doesn't say an important life or a loud life or a hurried life, just quiet. Come and find rest for your souls. Take a moment to be still in his presence. He has so much life for us to partake in. And all we have to do is be a willing vessel and receive and also slow down.